Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Jonathan Yanez, a science fiction and fantasy author. Some of his series include The Forsaken Mercenary, Gateway to the Galaxy, The Archangel Wars, and The Elite. Um, Jonathan, go ahead and take it away, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your day to have me on. I appreciate it. And um, to Whitney, too, for reaching out. Yeah, so like you said, I've just been um, writing mostly science fiction and fantasy for about nine years now. It's hard to believe, but in, um, let's see, two months from now, it'll be nine years. Yeah. So I started off just, you know, traditionally published. And then I have a saying, Carson, that gets me in trouble all the time. And the saying is, how hard could it be? I could do that. How hard could it be? So a uh, great experience being traditionally published. I don't have a bad thing to say, but I, I understand the industry and understand they need to get paid as well. So when the royalties were coming in, you know, they needed to take their portion so they could run their business. And I kind of saw what they were doing coming from like a sales and management background. And I thought to myself, how hard could it be? I could do this. So I broke away from the traditional model and uh, formed my own company and started self-publishing my own products. And um, since then, it's just been a roller coaster of growth from like getting into the foreign market to doing our own audiobooks to doing video games and movies. Like it's, um, it's been fun. And then that saying always gets me in trouble. How hard could it be? And then, you know, a month later I'm into it and I'm crying, trying to drink caffeine to get what needs to be done, done. That's awesome. Did you, when you started, did you visualize the, the growth that you would have or, or have any idea of where you'd be now in nine years? I mean, nine years is a short time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I keep on, I keep on encouraging other people, other writers, you know, because they write a book and maybe it doesn't hit that the way they want it to hit, or maybe they're a year into it and they're struggling. And I'm telling them like, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like you're supposed to struggle, right? You're supposed to struggle and have a hard time. You're supposed to fall and learn and do it better. And then fall again and do it better and learn and keep on going. I had no idea that the industry would change and grow in such a way that I would be able to, you know, form my own company. And then looking into different avenues like foreign translation, how do you get your book, you know, translated for a foreign market? I understood that it's a very similar uh, process as publishing. So I was able to kind of use the same tools I had learned just to publish a book to now do translations and audiobooks and so forth. Starting out, if somebody was starting out today, like what are some of the challenges that you would tell them to expect? Man, I would tell them, extend yourself some grace. Don't be hard on yourself. As long as you're learning and you keep on going, that's what matters. Because you can't stop the person who's unwilling to give up. If you don't give up, you'll get there. You know, everybody's journey is going to be different. It might take you two years. Like me, it might take you like nine years. It was seven years into it that I really started seeing some results. So I would say that there was definitely a five-year benchmark for me that I was like, whoa, I started figuring things out. And then at the seven-year mark, things really blew up and took off. But I would just tell them, you know, be patient, embrace the struggle. It's supposed to be like this. That's actually really good advice. So for you, it was kind of like, a, you know, one of those hockey stick graphs where you know, you struggled for seven years and then like the last two years, it's been phenomenal or? Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Um, 
so I'd say, yeah, again, the first five years is kind of like when we started seeing some major growth and things started clicking. We started learning more, you know, not just about the writing side, but about the business side. And then I would say with the last two years in January of 2019, my wife was able to quit her job and just come home and be with the kids. And she works for our company now as well. Nice. So January of 2019, things really began to take take off. And it's just been up to us to find that happy medium between being grateful for what we have and being hungry for what's next. So being a father, a husband, a writer, um, how do you find balance? Woo, Carson, you asked a million dollar (laughs) question, right? I ask myself that question all the time. So uh, are you a fan of Bruce Lee? I am. Okay, cool. Me too. So he has uh, lots of sayings I like, but one of them is be like water because water transforms. It takes the shape of whatever you put it in. It's malleable. It'll keep on moving and transforming. And I try to take that and apply it to my day-to-day life. Because Carson, let me tell you, there are some nights when the kids just don't believe in sleep anymore. (laughs) When there's like three or four times that one of them's waking up during the night for different things. And then, you know, the other one, because we have a a four-year-old and then a 10-month-old. Oh, wow. So somebody's awake at any given point in the night. Somebody's awake. Yeah. So I have to make sure that I make sure I put my family first. And then also I have to make sure to keep my writing time laser focused because I mean, there are sometimes I'm not getting any sleep. A perfect day for me would be waking up at 5 a.m. to get the writing done before my family wakes up. But that's not always the case. Some, some nights I'm up all night, so I can't wake up at 5 a.m. So what I do then is make sure that I'm just laser focused when I'm writing. So, you know, no distractions on social media, no Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever else new that's happening on social media. Make sure that I already know what I'm going to write. So when I hit the keyboard, it's not like, oh, what's going to happen again? I'm not really sure where the story is going. Like when I fall asleep at night, I'm thinking about that next scene in my head. So when my fingers hit the keyboard, just go. Nice. So what are some of your writing habits? Do you have like a specific block? Like, I guess in a perfect world, you'd get up at five and get ready, but that doesn't always happen. Do you have like certain times during the day where you block off or, or what do you do? Yeah, so we'll we'll start with the perfect day, and then we'll throw in the caveat that 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 every week at least you know there's a day or two that that doesn't happen. Right. But I try to get up at five a.m. and then usually the family's up around seven to eight, so that gives me two to three hours to get my writing in. So I try to do four thousand words a day, and I break it up into one thousand word sprints. So I'll sit down again. I write in Microsoft Word, so when I'm writing. If you if you've used Word before, you'll know when you misspell a word, you'll get that little red scribble underneath. Right. Yeah. I don't worry about any of that. I just try to get into the flow state, just like where the story is going. I see the story in my head, and it, I just go. Um, professional athletes talk about this all the time, from like football to wrestling to baseball. They talk about getting into that zone, into that flow state. Mm-hmm. I've taught myself how to get into that flow state, so the words are just coming. So I do a thousand words and usually takes me 20 to 30 minutes, depending how fast I'm typing. Wow. And then I take a break. Then I get on, then I give myself almost like rewarding myself, um, get on my Facebook or responding to message over email or whatever it might be. And then I jump back into another sprint and then I do another sprint. So I can usually in a perfect day by seven to eight o'clock, I can have two to three of those sprints already done. So, you know, two to 3,000 words finished. I get up and have breakfast with the family, maybe go to the gym. 
And then my wife, who also works for our company, her work day starts at one. So I know that I need to get all my writing in and all my work before one o'clock. Because she does all like the marketing for our business. She talks with the narrators for audiobooks, the foreign translations. Now that we have a system in place, she manages all that. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like I put the pressure on me. Michael Jordan has a, a really cool saying that, you know, when the game is on the line, who's going to have the ball? They, a reporter asked him, who's going to have the ball, right, when the game's on the line? And Michael Jordan said, me. Yeah. So I always think about that, too. I'm like, it's on me. It's nobody else's fault if I didn't get my word count in. If I didn't finish it, it's on me. After your breaks, does it take you a while to get back in the flow state, or can you get back into it pretty quick? I think it's kind of like a muscle, right? It's like muscle memory. So as soon as I know that you know I'm getting into it, all distractions are gone. I already know what I'm going to write in my head. There's no going back and editing because I know I'm going to have to go back and edit the book anyway. So there's no point of you know stopping that flow state and going back because I misspelled the word conniption or something right. like that. You know, yeah. breaking that flow state is just like go. So now I've just trained myself over the years just to get into that flow state and keep it going. So after your break, you're, it's almost instant just to be able to get back into focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll have the, you know, Microsoft Word has the word counter. Uh-huh. So I'll see exactly when I hit that a thousand words and whether I'm in like a, the middle of a sentence or some sort of epic fight scene, I'll just stop. And then, you know, get up and go get some coffee, go to the restroom, come back, check my emails, Facebook, whatever. And then I'll jump in. I think of myself as like a boxer. When you hear that ding, you're right when the bell rings, ding, 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 ding. And I always ask myself, like, how many times can you answer the call? How many times can you answer that bell? Yeah. And for me, the answer is always one more time. So at the beginning, was that kind of hard to train yourself to do? Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, I don't, um, I think these are good foundational steps that people start to try. But again, if you decide to try this way and you don't do it right away, that's fine. Like, I didn't do it right away. Like, this is nine years in. So make sure you, again, you extend yourself some grace, like anything that's worth building is going to take time. Right. No. And I think people underestimate the little steps, um, that they can take. Like I, and I've said this, I mean, people that are, are continually watch or hear these podcasts, like you'll, you'll hear this over and over, but if people just write 250 words a day, every single day, that's over a hundred thousand words a, a, a year. And that's, that's a book, you know? Yep. For sure. I am. Or, or two books, depending on how many words you have. So as long as you keep trying, um, you can build up, like Jonathan here, to that 1,000 words in 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it takes. And even if you don't, who cares? Like, as long as you're doing a little bit every day, like, and, and like Jonathan said, like, you you will get there. You know, it all depends on me. How hard can it be? Right? Yeah, yeah, just stay consistency. Like, um, I don't fear the, not fear, but like, I don't take a second look at the author who can write 10,000 words a day, but then, you know, they break down because their brain is oatmeal and stuff like that. And who knows when they're going to write again. Yeah. I'm looking at the author who writes like what you said, like consistently, even if it's 200 words a day, if you can do that consistently, you'll get somewhere. Cause I know a lot of authors who like do these crazy, like writing sprints that like kill themselves, you know, 10,000 words, 5,000 words, but then they don't write for like the next like week. Cause they're so, you know, brain dead or it takes them so much motivation to try to get up again to go do that again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just stay consistent and build. You'll work your way up. So you're a pretty prolific author. You have um, multiple series out. Um, you also have series where you've partnered with people and co-written. How does that process work? Yeah, so usually when I co-write, one of us will take the lead. So we come up with the idea together. So we'll talk about like, hey, let's do this. Let's do Dragons and Space meets Hallmark Mystery. And we'll be like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we'll 
go ahead and partner up and one of us will take the bulk of the writing. And then the second person will go in afterwards to do a second pass and adding more detail and more depth. So with the um, Gateway to the Galaxy series, I wrote that one with my wife. So we came up with a series together. Basically, it's Stargate meets Green Lantern. So I had the uh, idea, wrote down some, um, like, not drafts, but just kind of like character names and descriptions and places and planets and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I took the first pass and she came in second pass. You've thrown out Star meets Green Lantern. Is that kind of how you look for, for your ideas for, for novels? Like take two things, kind of mash them up or... What's, what's your process to coming up with stories? Man, I feel like inspiration comes from everywhere. I feel like I, my imagination is just wild working all the time from everything from like, um, you know, a cartoon that my daughter's watching, get an idea from My Little Ponies or Fancy Nancy or to uh, a movie that I watch. And I'm like, hey, that's a really good character. So it's kind of like almost like Frankensteining the story because I'll be like, oh, I, th- I really like this type of character. And then like, oh, I really like, um, like, I'll just talk about the book I'm writing right now. So the book I'm writing right now is tournament style because I saw Mortal Kombat, the new movies coming out and I love tournament style books. So I was thinking like, that would be really cool for like a storyline for a book in a series, like our main character, there's like some sort of tournament he gets invited to. So like, there's an idea right there. And then I was thinking like, okay, well, what new characters can I uh, introduce to this? So you just start pulling from different ideas. It could be like, you know, songs that you like a, a line in a song. One of the um, books that I wrote, there's a line in the song. I forget who it's by now because it was so many years ago. But I use that song lyric as a title and it's called Burn the Night. How do you choose which idea you're going to explore and you're going to write about? I feel like if you have an idea that you're excited and you're passionate about, one of the worst things you could do is kind of like, you know, put it on a shelf. Because who knows if you're ever going to have time or you're going to find the time or whatever to revisit that idea. So I use them now. So if like I'm excited about dragons, there's going to be a dragon in the tournament. Or if I'm excited about, you know, genies, then, you know, there's going to be a genie that shows up. So I try not to save any ideas. I try whatever I'm excited about. I use it as fuel for the current book. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Of course, being a self-published author, writing isn't the only thing you do. You know, you have to wear multiple hats and you have your wife that, that helps you out on that. But at the beginning, like, you know, trying to find an, an editor who, um, is very good at what they do like how how challenging was that so i try to operate by word of mouth so you know kind of like what you're doing with your podcast you're getting to know more and more authors in the community so you know just networking and reaching out to different people and then when you have um, a book that's ready and you need you know a cover designer or an editor or if you want to get into audiobooks you need a narrator then i can start reaching out to those relationships that i've built and then I would say nine times out of 10, the author community is really helpful. So for my editor, I think that's what I had done. I reached out to an author that I knew and asked who he used and he was willing to share her information. So that's how I found my editor and then cover designer, super easy. There's so many talented artists out there. Mm-hmm. I've just gone to um, a website called ArtStation uh-huh. and you can look at different artists who are willing to do work. And even like Instagram, if you just go to Instagram, type in, you know, science fiction art hits and so much great talent out there. That's, that's awesome. I found too, that the author community is very helpful. Um, the amount of people that have said yes to, to interview with me who, you know, I got no credibility whatsoever, just some random person reaching out to people. 
and the response has been amazing and and you've been one of that so thank you very much i appreciate it yeah no worries dude i uh I'm definitely willing to have a conversation with anybody. When I first got the invite, I'm like, who is this? What's going on here? And doing some research. But yeah, I'm happy to be on. You know, you could have written in any genre. Why choose the speculative fiction genre? I feel like that's kind of like where my imagination goes most of the time. Like I, I grew up watching and reading that kind of stuff, whether it was science fiction and a lot of fantasy too. But um, I feel like I don't really like rules, Carson. I'm not a big rule follower. <laughs> so... I uh, I like creating my own stories and I don't like being told like what I can or I can't do. So a lot of times like that's the fun part for me when I'm writing, I'm following these characters and who knows what's going to happen. So I feel like those genres kind of gave me freedom to kind of like do whatever I wanted. Like this page is a blank canvas and I can go ahead and paint whatever strokes and colors I want to use. So going back to your childhood, do you remember like the first kind of stories that kind of hooked you in? in science fiction and fantasy, whether movies or books? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely um, Stargate. I was a big Stargate fan. Green Lantern, of course, right? We talked about that a little bit earlier. For sci-fi books, Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. He did a series that not a lot of people know about because uh, he's known for Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. But he also wrote Out of the Silent Planet. So he was a fantasy and sci-fi writer. So that was a lot of fun. A lot of comic books too. Like I remember reading comic books with, you know, like Tony Stark and all his tech and his um, suits and AIs. And I think um, more recently, Edgar Rice Burroughs has been a big push into my like sci-fi career mm -hmm. just because he was also a pulp writer. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And it's amazing. Edgar Rice Burroughs was so long ago, you know, almost 100 years ago. But so many authors that I've interviewed in the past month have said that he's such a big influence on their on their writing. Um, the reason why they became a writer. Did you always want to be a writer? No, I don't think I knew what I wanted to do for the longest time. Like even in college, like I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I like I knew I liked to read, and everybody was telling me I should go into business. Right, you should be a business, get your business degree, because then you could do anything. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to college, still not sure what I wanted to do. So I took English classes and I also took business classes. And I remembered I didn't like my business teacher. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be an English major. So uh, in retrospect, I probably should have been more of like a creative writing major. That would you know, give me more practice. Uh -huh. But uh, I was an English major in college and I thought like, hey, maybe I want to write a book. Um, I got out of college and realized I needed money right away because I wasn't going to be able to survive, you know, off uh, my mom and dad. My dad, the best thing my dad ever did for me is like, he, they helped me through college. I paid half the college. My parents paid half. But then my dad's like, hey, man, you're graduated now. You got two months, two months, and you're on your own. And back then, it was kind of like, you know, it sounds a little harsher maybe, but that's what I needed. That's what I needed to spread my wings and grow. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try, you know, writing a book. So I started writing a book, but again, I need money. So I started working, got into the workforce, and it was in the workforce for maybe five years before I hit a breaking point. Always kind of writing off and on, never really taking it seriously. But I thought to myself, if I don't quit now and give this author career a chance, I don't think I'm ever going to be able, I'm never going to do it. I'm just going to get into the kind of like, you know, the promotions and the next raise and stuff like that of the business world. So I quit, cashed in my 401k without telling my wife. And I told myself, I'm just going to make this author thing work. How hard could it be, Carson, right? Yeah. How hard could how it be? Hard. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Very hard, but it's worth it. 
that's amazing um, that you had that much faith in yourself. Thanks, man. Yeah, I am. Um, I just keep on thinking at every at every turn, no matter what happens, nobody is going to treat your business or your products like you are. Like I've had opportunities to partner with other people and they've done good jobs or they've done what they can. But I think at the end of the day, if your name's on it, nobody is going to care about that product as much as you. So if you can yeah. do it, then you should. No, that's that's fantastic advice. And you said earlier that when you sit down, you already know what's going on. So do you outline or do you just have a, a movie in your head that you're playing that you just kind of know where the story's going? Yeah, so the second. So um, I don't really outline, unless I'm doing a co-writing project, then you kind of have to because you have to talk to the person about what's going to go on. But if I'm just writing my own book, so like right now I have a series called Hunters for Hire. That's just 100% me. Um, I always think back to a quote that I heard from Stephen King when he calls his subconscious the boys in the basement. So he said when he's thinking about something or working on a scene or whatever, he'll go to sleep thinking about it. And the boys in the basement, his subconscious, will work on that problem for him. So that's what I do a lot of times. Like um, when I'm out, just either by myself or at the gym, and I'm just like in the zone. I'm thinking about the story or what's going to happen at nighttime. You know, when my um, daughter, we say prayers at night, tell her a story when she's going to bed. It takes her about, you know, 10, 15 minutes to actually mm -hmm. fall asleep. So I sit there with her. And during that time, the wheels are turning of what's going to happen in that next scene the following day. So I think I just try to keep on feeding my imagination as much as possible, like a meat grinder. And, and then it comes out the other end. For those people that have writer's block, what kind of advice? Because it sounds like if you keep doing that, you wouldn't have writer's block because you kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I have a very unpopular belief about writer's block. Uh, and I always use this analogy, like if writer's block is a thing, then how come plumber's block isn't a thing or teacher's block isn't a thing or whatever you know industry you're in, that block isn't a thing. I think for some reason over the years, writers have kind of gotten away by saying like, oh, I have this, you know, mythical, magical block in my mind that won't let me work. Carson, I have to have writer's block not be a thing because I got mortgage to pay. You know what I'm saying? So like when writer's block comes in, sure, some days are hard writing, no doubt, no doubt. Some days the words will not come and I am tearing them out of my brain to get them on the page. Everybody has it. So on those days I could say, well, it's just writer's block, it's not coming. I'm gonna go play Mortal Kombat. You know what I'm saying? I could do that or I could sit, sit myself down and be like, this is your job. Do your job. That's another one of my favorite sayings is do your job. What's your job as a writer? First and foremost, it's to write. And then if you know you're a self-publisher or an indie author, then you have like the marketing and advertising the business side. But first and foremost, if you're going to call yourself an author, your job is to write. So you got to do your job. No, I totally agree. I don't believe in writer's block. Um, I think that, like you said, if you depend on it, then you do it anyway. But two, you said that, you know, if your name's on it, take accountability for it basically. And that's kind of what you have to do. If you want a book, if you want something out there that you're selling with your name on it, take responsibility and sit down and, and, and write. And whether that's someone like you that has a movie on in your, their head and they're able to, to write from it or more like a, an outliner that has everything down before they, they sit down and write, Either way, like find, figure out who you are and, and capitalize on it and do, do the job. You know, Amazon has changed a lot in the last nine years. How do you stay current in the marketing? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always, I think that's why another reason having a network of author friends comes into play. So whether it's like, um, you know, if there's Facebook groups that you can join 
of other authors in the industry. There's podcasts that you can listen to like this one and to figure out, you know, like what's going on or what's changing or what might be new. I think the most important thing that you can do is have a community of authors, because if you have friends who aren't worried that, you know, adding to your fire takes away from theirs. If you just realize that a, a rising tide lifts all boats, they're willing to help each other. I'd be like, Hey, I heard about this, or I heard about, you know, that Amazon's changing this. That's helped out a lot. Nice. So I don't know if you know who David Farland is or not, but I interviewed him um, last week and he helped Scholastic choose um, what book to push one year, like 25 years ago. And he chose Harry Potter. Oh, nice. His wife told him, you know, after it became such a success, his, his wife asked him, you know, are you mad that, you know, her books took off or you're not getting some sort of royalty for helping her out or, or whatever. And he's like, no, like she made 80 million fantasy fans and kind of like the a rising tide raises all boats. He's all, I just, I just, it just opened up 80 million more fans that have opportunity to, to buy my books. Yeah. Having, having a network and lifting each other up, I think is important. Yeah, for sure. And I think when you find those people, that are willing, you know, to befriend you and to be able to, you know, lift you up. I think you should hold those people close because even though the author community is a very giving community, there are also some of those other authors who, you know, might just like any industry, any industry has, right. Who might just be out for themselves or not want to, you know, make friends or just doing their own thing. So that's another thing too. I always think of like a community as a herd of sled dogs, so if you have the sled dogs, right, and one dog decides not really to run or two dogs decide they're going to go a different way, then it's not really going to work as it should. Right. But if you have, you know, a group, a community of people all working really hard on their craft mm -hmm. and, you know, you might not talk to these people every day or every week or every month even, but you know, without a shadow of a doubt that they're working on their business. And, you know, if you have a question, you reach out, or you have something to share that they're right there with you. No, and that's. I think that's important. Um, like you said, surround yourself with, with people who want to go the same direction as you and your career, I think, could take off. What kind of advice would you give somebody today um, that wanted to become an author, especially a self-published one? Yeah. So I would tell them to make every mistake that they can because that's how you learn, right? So I, mm -hmm. I've learned more from my mistakes than I've learned from my achievements and somebody asked me once, like, why do you always talk about failing? Why don't you talk about, you know, learning from your achievements? Like, I do learn from my achievements, but I just wake, make way more mistakes than I do. Like, I lose way more than I win. So by default, I'm learning more from the times that I fail than from the times that I win. So I would say just keep on learning, make the mistakes, even with writing. So even if we're not talking about the business side, if we're just talking about the writing side, I think it's important to know the rules of writing. And then you can break them because you know you're going to break them. So maybe you do it sparingly. Like, oh, I know this is a rule I shouldn't break, but I'm going to give myself some grace because it works in the story right here. I'm going to go ahead and break the rule. So, yeah, give yourself some grace. Know the rules before you break them. And then just learn from your mistakes. What are some of the rules of writing that you could share? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've heard um, advice from authors who I respect, but they are – preach not to use the exclamation mark very much like to use it very sparingly that way it holds more of a punch or impact mm -hmm. and uh, i agree with that but i've heard some uh rules even go to like to the extreme like you should only use an exclamation point or mark once to twice a book 
So I feel like that's kind of like a rule. Like I understand where they're coming from, right? Because if every sentence ends with an exclamation mark, it kind of loses what it's supposed to do because the reader's just like, oh, every sentence is like this. So I understand that side, but I also think that like one or two times, if I use it like three or four times in an 80,000 word book, that's going to be fine with me. I'm going to extend myself some grace and break that rule. Another one that I've heard is like, don't say said, you know, don't use those tags. And, and other authors are like, yeah, like people usually just glance by that. They don't even read that. So go ahead. Like those, that's something else that whether it's a written or unwritten rule that even, even now there's not a consensus on to do it or not to do it, you know? Yeah, I've heard the same thing. I, I've heard the same thing. And in different times in my career, I've adhered to different advice. So like what you said, sometimes I've heard that like, especially like with audiobooks, it's almost just like white noise that the reader doesn't even register as the dialogue continues to flow. And then um, I've have, I have a team of beta readers who after the editor looks at it and gets through it and I do all the edits, the beta readers go in and, you know, see if they can catch anything that maybe I've missed or the editor might have missed. So I have uh, beta readers who have opinions on that too. Like some of them don't mind the said and some of them, you know, advise to get rid of the said and use different words. And I can, I can find the value in both ways thinking. Plus there's various rules on story structure as well. So do you, as you, as you're writing your book, do you focus on that or is that something you work on afterwards? Do you, do you kind of do a three act structure or do you do, I don't know, like the hero's journey or you know what's funny? What you... I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have. I probably should have because I know what all that is now. But uh-huh. starting off in my career, I never. Not that I never. I don't want to say ever because I can think of maybe I read Stephen King's book on writing, and I'm sure there was one or two other ones somewhere in my past. But I, I've never sat down and thought to myself, okay, like this has, has to be structured. X, Y, and Z have to happen. I've always kind of like just gone on the journey with my characters. I forget who said it, but one author said that his main character is his best friend. So I just got to know my characters and like who they are and what they would do. And um, even though, you know, I'm a pantser, I write by the seat of my pants. I do have an, an end in mind. I might not write it down. Like there's not an outline, but I think to myself, like, you know, at the end, the hero is going to win. I believe in hopeful stories. So you're always going to be able to close one of my books with a smile on your face and feel satisfied. So I know the hero's going to end. He's going to win in the middle. You know, this has to happen. And I'm going to start off with like a funny comedy scene. Basically, I just go. So um, how often do your characters take off on you? They're like, "Uh, I don't think they're supposed to do that, but I'm going to see what goes on. All the time. All the time. Yesterday, I found out that one of the characters, his name isn't actually the tough name he thought but he has a, uh, a funnier first name that he doesn't go by. He chooses not to go by that name. And that wasn't planned at all, huh? No, no. Stuff like that happens all the time. That's awesome. No, I actually agree. Like that happens to me all the time too. Yeah, yeah. It's fun that way. There was a, a scene that I wrote today where um, they're sitting down for a meal and the main character thinks that the dwarf at the end of the table is a guy because he has a big old beard on. But he starts talking to him. Turns out it's not a guy. It's one of the females of the dwarven race. So like stuff like that happens. Yeah, stuff like that happens. It's fun. It is. And I think that's the balance that you kind of have to do as a, if you're an outliner or a pantser, like let, let the creative creativity take over sometimes and, and just see what happens. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to get too woo on you, but I've been going through a kind of like a realization of kind of what goes on when I'm writing because I'm able to write these books and I 
publish them and I get emails in from, you know, people and messages of like people just going through hard times in life, whether it's like fights with cancer or depression or anxiety and kind of like the books helping them get through this time in their life. And I don't think that's me, Carson. I don't, I, I'm not, I take zero credit for that. I feel like when I sit down to write, I'm part of something bigger, something greater. Like I'm channeling something. I'm like a lightning rod, just channeling these stories to publish them and then send them out to be able to do some good. No, that's awesome. And I, I, I bet those emails that you get from people who are suffering and, and where you bring joy really does brighten your day. Oh man. Yeah. I tell them all the time that I run off those emails and caffeine. If the caffeine is flowing and those messages are coming in, I feel like I could write, write all day. And, and you're not just a writer, you know, you're a father and a husband. Well, what other hobbies do you have to kind of keep you sane? Yeah. So going back to the store, work at a job that I necessarily didn't feel that passionate about in kind of like the business sales world while well, I, I write out of college. And then when I quit that job, cashed in my 401k to write, I still needed to bring in money, even though I was writing now first and foremost and trying to get published. I needed to do something to help the family at the time with just my wife and I wouldn't have kids yet. But um, I decided to start personal training because I love to work out. So I got a part-time personal training job and then I wrote full-time. And then I did that until the writing career took off enough where I could quit that. <clears throat> but I still love to work out. So I feel like there's something that happens to me. Two things in my life, like for some reason, I don't know what it is, but I get a lot of clarity and I get a lot of ideas and my imagination is just like rolling with the story. It's when I'm working out and it's when I'm at church. For some reason, when I'm in those zones, in those flow states, like the words and the ideas just come. So I try to hit the gym five, four to five times a week, just doing different things, whether it's you know cardio or um, lifting heavier, something like that. And I feel like that's really helped. And that's basically my hobby is self-improvement. So whether it's like doing the latest research on like the pros of cold showers or trying out new exercises like UFC fighters do, like on different assault bikes, I want to uh, invest as much as I can into myself. That way I can give, you know, my writing and my family the best version of me that I could give them. Nice. I think that's great advice. You know, yeah, take care of yourself in order to give the best version of yourself. And like you said, like do research and find out what you can do to improve, whether that's physical or, or with faith or, or whatever. So this pandemic has kind of got everybody down, kind of stopped traveling. If things open up, are you going to be able to go anywhere this year? Or do you have any plans as far as conventions and stuff? Yeah, yes. Right. So I think uh, what we're going to do this year is, again, like what you said, you said it, you hit the nail on the head. We'll see what happens, right? We'll see what opens up and what the mandates are. Each state's going to be different. Um, but we plan on going to Vegas in November, my wife and I, to a conference called 20 books to 50k are you familiar with that yeah oh nice yeah so maybe we'll see you there yeah we've uh we've gone in the past and it's been a great show we haven't been disappointed so we'll probably go to that one and then there's another retreat that we do again we didn't do it last year obviously because the pandemic but if we're able to do it this year we run a retreat a business called uh, archer's rest summit and it's just for authors to get together it's much much smaller than 20 books to 50k we're talking maybe like 30 to 40 authors, but just to get together for a few days with like-minded authors and kind of just like help each other grow, encourage each other, you know, create that community. Um, but again, like you said, we, previous years, we had it in Napa here in California. 
but I mean, this year, I don't, we weren't able to have it last year. And then this year, who knows? So I don't know if that one's going to happen later on this year, or we might just wait until next year. Again, it just all goes back to community. There's a, a different relationship you can have with people when you get that face-to-face interaction. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm sure people can explain it much better than I can, but it's a different relationship that you have when you get to interact with people in real life. No, for sure. Like I, it's like going to a concert. It's, I mean, you can listen to the CD on, or, or MP3 player. That's how old I am in CDs and tapes, you know, but when you go, there's something different watching it live, you know, whether it's a sporting event or music or, or whatever, it's just a different thing. So yeah, that face-to-face interaction is, is not only different, but it, it, I think it strengthens that relationship for sure. Well, uh, go ahead and tell everybody how they can reach you, find your books, get a hold of you. Yeah. So, um, on Instagram, uh, it's funny because I didn't really use Instagram before the pandemic, but just like that person that you were talking about who, uh, helped JK Rowling that said, Hey, that's, there's 80,000 more, uh, fans now. He kind of like spun it and saw it as a positive. When the pandemic hit, I thought like, Hey, I have an opportunity here. How can I see this as a positive thing? So for the business side, I chose, hey, I don't really have a presence on Instagram. I'm going to go ahead and start getting on Instagram now that I have more time. I'm not going anywhere, especially in California. I'm really not going anywhere. That just being, you know, diligent and updating. We've tripled the numbers that I had before the pandemic. Um, so if you want to reach me there, it's author Jonathan Yanez on Instagram. And then uh, on Facebook, I created a group for readers and people who enjoy stories of hope and adventure. So it's called Jonathan's Yanez's Reading Wolves. I have my brand logo. I'm actually wearing the shirt right now. This is our logo for our company. Nice. So the logo is a wolf. So if you go to Jonathan Yanez's Reading Wolves, there's a community of just like readers there who just encourage each other. We share different stories. When I have a new release, I'll post there and just experience life together. Nice. And you have that merchandise on your website, I noticed. Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing. It's uh, it's crazy. At the very beginning of my career, I thought that, you know, how do authors make money? Oh, they make money on books. And then I guess maybe like if they do speaking events or movies, right? Movies are always a big thing. But there's so many different ways as an author that you can make money. Like um, when you think of your IP, your intellectual property, think of it as a pie and you can cut that pie in multiple different pieces. So whether it's merchandise on your website you know it's ebooks it's audiobooks it's print books it's foreign rights it's video games it's movies like the list goes on and on right and and you hit the nail on the head where just because you write a book like there's so many ways to capitalize that on that you know paperback and hardback and ebooks and audiobooks and then there's the foreign markets and each you know you have all four or five of those things in whatever germany or france or whatever that that can help you and 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 grow so I think keeping it as a like keeping an eye on your career as a business and not just a writer can can really help people out. Yeah, and it, it helps out too because when you have different revenue streams that you're creating, it kind of takes the pressure off of your main revenue stream, right? So my main revenue stream is United States ebook sales. That's where I make the bulk of my money. Mm-hmm. So if you know I have a bad month or something happens or the industry tanks or whatever might be the case. If I've opened up these other, you know, smaller revenue streams, but that are still participating and helping, it takes that pressure off having to be like, oh, no, you know, I've had a bad month here. How are we going to be able to, you know, buy groceries or something? Because, you know, those kids, they like to eat at the same time every day. That's great advice. Uh, Jonathan, I appreciate you getting on with me today. 
I hope to get to see you in November and we can sit down and have a chat, meet your wife and really join a community. So I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.